0: Good morning. Good morning. It is always an honor for me to be here with you folks, even though it only happens uh, about once a year. That's about as often as uh, that I'm in the U.S. or in this area uh, in the U.S. But I have uh, known you, pastor for, what, 18, almost 19 years now. And um, God Has been using you folks. Uh, I don't know if everyone here knows who I am or not, but I'm part of this family, okay? And you know what? The old saying goes, you don't get to choose your family, right? So (laughs) here I am. I'm a South Carolina farm boy. Came to Christ in uh, uh, 1978. I heard somebody say, um, you know, that's when I was born. Okay, or the person that heard me say that right, uh, but I came from South Carolina in nineteen seventy eight How many of you are old enough to remember uh the evangelist R w Shambach Robert Shambach? okay, you're some of the oldies, okay <laughs> all right, well, I came from South Carolina here to Tyler, Texas, to attend his Bible school back in nineteen seventy eight I was nineteen years old at the time. I am um excited about what God is doing, uh, I must admit, I'm excited and tremble here in the U.S. Now, I've lived in Honduras, or Central America, for 43 years. I'm, I'm sorry, 43 years in Christ, 41 years in missions ministry. And presently, my wife and I live in the country of Honduras, and um, it's almost 25 years, this May, of living in, uh, in that one country and going out from there into other countries. But um, I have no fear of living where I live, uh, even though it's rated the fourth most dangerous country in the world and the second most corrupt country in the world. But I have no fear in living there. So why would I have fear about being in my own country? Well, in Honduras, the norm is always the norm. Chaos. Corruption. It's always been that way ever since I first used to go through that country several years ago. And it continues to be that way. But what causes me to be a bit excited and nervous about being here in the U.S., one, because, well... The whole world belongs to the Lord, but we in America are seeing God move, and yet more to see in a way that we have never seen in the history of our country. That excites me. What makes me nervous is that we're seeing things happening in our country uh, that's not so good, and it's, it's not normal, okay, Again, I'm accustomed to seeing the violence and so forth and things in Honduras. But it makes me nervous about when it happens here. When our people, the most civilized nation upon the earth, go through situations, whether it be in the personal life, and the social life, in the political life. um, You know, we're at a time when what other country in the world has a problem with knowing what bathroom to go to, okay? I mean, that, that makes me a little bit nervous, okay? But I want to say this. The church, we believers, have the greatest opportunity ever yeah. to be the church. And the, in this country, and I'll say the church in America, I wouldn't say is greater than any other uh, the, uh, church in anywhere else in the world. But I'll, I'll say that again, what I just said. We, the church here in America, have the greatest opportunity before now and before us that we'll ever have in the history. Okay? The darkness that came upon our country and I must say, darkness only over uh, darkness only comes at the absence of light, and we are light, folks. But I want to say, if God's people, we God's people, will stand up and be that light like we never were before, the darkness will be pushed back. Okay. Uh, I always use an example. I remember when I was a kid, the birthday candles were just tiny little things, about uh, you know, as far as uh, really thin, about the size of a toothpick, okay? And if we lit one of those candles in here uh, with the lights on, you wouldn't see very much use in that light, that little flickering thing. But if you turned off all of the lights, that little candle would really brighten up this place to where everyone could at least see what's going on up here. Okay? And so, irregardless as to who you are, how long you've been in Christ, you are a light. Shine. Shine. And that is the job of a candle or the light. Simply to shine. And more than ever, church, we need to shine. Okay? When I think about the scriptures um, and the work of the church, you know, we, we have so many issues right now, and I know they're in other countries, but socialism, communism. Well, when the church does its function, then why, I mean, you know, in our country, Okay, from the time our forefathers came to this country, when they begun, socialism wasn't even a thing to be thought of because the church took care of the people. The church taught the people. The church took care of the elderly, ministered to the needy, and that still continues to be the duty of the church. Now, I want to, Pause where I'm going with that just for a moment because one of the duties that the church has been involved in and must be is that of in other countries or in missions. And so as I share with you a little bit this morning, it is concerning what this congregation, what this church has been involved in helping us with. You know, I want to say it just like this, straight and plain. You need to see what we're doing because we're doing it with your money. Say a little bit about the ministry for those of you who know, uh, may not know me or have not heard too much about the ministry uh, in Honduras or in Spanish. It's called manos extendidas or extended hands. And you can see our theme scripture up there, um, you know, as far as the ministry begun and continues to begin with the smallest of children to the oldest of adults um, I am married, as I mentioned, from South Carolina. But of the many years of living in Central America, I am married. Uh, my wife is from Nicaragua. And uh, she and I have two beautiful daughters and, and a beautiful granddaughter. Again, my wife and I have lived in um, uh, Central America for um, uh Almost 25 years this May. Our oldest daughter is serving in the U.S. Navy. Six years there in the Navy in Chicago. And Amy has been working here in Tyler and uh, fellowshipping at this congregation. Our girls have been missionaries right along with us. Amen. We just let them come out to the U.S. to continue their education. And uh, the Lord willing, they will be back with us. Part of what we're doing in the ministry in Honduras, um, we have a children's ministry. Um, Right now, we are four congregations in the, uh, the capital city, Tegucigalpa. Okay, and we have one church outside of the city where we have a boys' home, and I'll talk a little bit more about that. But um, the numbers continue to increase, okay? But every month, uh, six days a week, we're ministering to more than 700 kids through feeding them, through educating them. In the other slide, after the one that was just there, on a daily basis Uh, some of these slides as you can see they were around the Christmas time Uh, you folks help us to provide meals for the children you folks help us to provide education for the children and one of the things that's going on here you folks help to provide um, more than 500 Christmas gifts not just for the children in this central congregation but for the um, five churches and others around the country again it's it's just part of what you folks are helping us to do. And I want to say, the young people that you see in the red shirts and the black pants were kids. That when they were small, we were ministering to them. And as they have grown up in the daycare centers, in the feeding centers, in our preschool, they are now ministering to other children. Okay, So the work that you've been involved in through us is not a work just a one-time stab in the dark. We are raising up generations of young people with the same purpose as you do here, to carry on the gospel, to live the gospel and preach the gospel in their countries. We're involved in ministering to people that live on the streets. Sarah is a young lady that grew up on the streets here in America. I've been on the streets in several major cities, and I've never seen a person younger than 18 years old. Maybe I've not been out here on the streets enough. But in Oklahoma City, Miami, Florida, and several other cities around the U.S., I've been on the streets. But in Honduras, the majority of the people that you see on the streets are 18 and younger but Sarah was a young lady that grew up on the streets because of abandonment. When Honduras is a country of 8.5 million, it is the size of the state of Arkansas, okay? And, um, but yet, 71% of the Honduran population has an annual income of $1,000. Break that down monthly. You're talking about $88 a month. All right. You might think Honduras is primitive. But if you come there, Burger King, Wendy's, McDonald's, Denny's, and all the above. Um, I've heard some people say, and Brother Sam, and who else here has been to Honduras on a missions trip? Okay. I've heard some of the folks uh, that's visiting us. Uh, When they come to Honduras, they walk around in the mall. And they go, we don't have them all this night. So it's not because the country is bound with only poverty. It's just that um, 90, 94% of the wealth is in the hands of 6% of the people. So 71% of the people um, have an annual, an annual income of $1,000, $88 a month. So if you lived in Honduras with the same cars and everything that you've got around here, well, let me put it like this. You live in America and your income was $88 a month. What would you not have? Almost nothing. Nothing and basically that's what 71% of the people have, almost nothing. A lot of the kids that we feed, and Sarah, like the one that was living on the streets, have one meal per day or one meal every other day. And let me define that meal. Three or four corn tortillas and probably a half a cup of coffee depending upon the amount of people that's in the family. If it's just four, well, they might have a whole cup. But if it's eight, then they might just get a small portion. But Sarah, whom because the parents could not feed them, they let them out on the streets to fend for themselves. So Sarah grew up on the streets. She learned later on to get off the streets. She could sell her body, okay, and, um, and get something to eat or get a room, some rat filled, rundown hotel. But in one of the, um, the preacher's uh, services that we had on the street, she gave her life to the Lord. She gave her life to the Lord that evening, two months later, after your money helped us put her through drug rehab, and now Sarah runs her own cosmetic business in a booth right out in the street. And you got to know, your money helped to put her through drug rehab, but your money also uh, helped her to get the jump start to buy the cosmetic Uh, supplies, and she's not had to come back once for a loan, but instead she has been paying. It wasn't a loan. It was given to her, but she is paying back. Papi Alvin, as we're called, you've given me X amount of money to help me get my business start. I want to give it back little by little without even asking for it because she knows that we're helping others whom she used to be with out on the streets, and as we continued in the, in the other slides, um, we work in the boys juvenile detention. When when my wife and I moved to Honduras, uh, we started a we rented this three story building. We started a tree, trade school program, and it was available to kids that live on the streets so that they can come and learn cake making and decorating, barber. Um, Carpentry and different skills, arts and crafts, how to make piñatas and all of that. Well, um, I would notice that for a couple of days at a time, some of the kids would not show up. So I would ask, "What happened to Fernando? Where is he?" Oh, piñata, I mean, he got caught uh, stealing, and he went to boys' juvenile detention center. And what about Erica? I hadn't seen her in a while either. Oh, Erica got caught selling glue, and she's in girls' juvenile detention. I would go to boys' juvenile detention, girls' juvenile detention to visit these particular kids. And when I got there, I was astounded. A hundred plus kids in boys' juvenile detention center. Toilet stopped up, no running water, and no electricity. The first thing that I did on my first day of visiting, going to visit Fernando, the first thing that I did was went back out to a store, bought big packs, just like he would go to Costco's or something and buy big packs of toilet paper or something like that. I went to a store and bought big packs of water that's in little one liter bags and took it back for him. Since then, the government has allowed us, in which this was back in 2002, we moved our trade school, or we reduplicated our trade school program in the boys' and the girls' juvenile detention centers. So they get the word, they get barber, computers, sports, okay? Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And every fisherman must have two vital things. One, a place to go, whether that's a river or lake or the ocean, a pond, and he must have the proper bait. The places that we go to fish are in the impoverished areas around the city. We go to the kids and there are thousands of them that live on the streets. Okay, we go into the juvenile detention centers. Those are the places that we go to fish. And the bait that we use is food, education, and sports. Okay, so as we go into the boys' juvenile detention center, we teach them to cut hair. Your money helps us to buy clippers, your money helps us to buy soccer balls. uh, As we, in fact, in Honduras, we call the soccer ball the round Bible. I mean, it's easier just for two or three, um, um, you know, believers to go into a particular area, break out the round Bible and start kicking it around. The next thing you know, all the kids are going to come around. The next thing you know, teens are going to come around. You start you break them up into teams, start having fun playing soccer. And then, hey, guys, I want to tell you a story. You share the gospel and you're in. Then you start taking some food, sandwiches, oatmeal, whatever it may be, on a consistent basis. Once a week, three times a week, and that's the way we usually do it, okay? Now it's six days a week, okay? And we have an audience of children that have grown up with us over the years that are now taking the gospel back into the boys' detention center. Uh, they have been tr- the ones in the detention center that have learnt the trade, came to Christ, been released, are now going back with us. Cesar has been working with with us now. Well, he came to Christ nine years ago at 17 years old in Boys Juvenile Detention Center. Um, He's standing there in the middle, but he's looking at the boys below and preaching. Because of COVID, we had to separate for a while. The previous slide, he was right among them. But in his preaching... And Marlon, young men like Kevin came to the Lord, okay? But let me tell you quickly about Kevin. He gave his life to Christ in the Boys Juvenile Detention Center this past May. He was released the end of August. Now, he just turned 18 years old the 26th of December. Detail, because I want you to think about what I'm telling you. This is the type of people that God brings into our lives. Two months before Kevin was captured for weapons trafficking, a member of the 18th Street Gang in Honduras, two months before he was captured, he was part of a massacre whereby he, at 16 years old, murdered 11 people. The police didn't know that. They know about the murders. But they don't know who did it. And there are so many crimes in Honduras that they don't even have a clue who did it. The investigative system is not that sophisticated where they can. And therefore, drug lords use kids and gangs to commit some of the most heathen crimes. Let me go back to um, Cesar. Okay, because Cesar was preaching the gospel. uh, And that's how Kevin came to the Lord. But Cesar at 17... Went to jail because of murder as well. Started in the mafia when he was 12 years old. By the time he was 13, already dealing drugs, um, leading a large area of the distribution of drugs. By the time he was 17, he led 180 other boys in their drug distribution and murders, homicide. He himself... Pulled the trigger on three different people, but he was captured and jailed for one They didn't even know about the others. So he did six years, yeah. A minor in Honduras, irregardless as to the crimes that you commit, can only be sentenced for no more than eight years. He came to the Lord. We didn't ask the, the judge to let him out, but they saw the change in his life, okay? I mean, he was in jail for a year and a half. Boy's juvenile detention, when he came to Christ, got out and started, uh, when they sent him to adult jail preaching the gospel in jail, got out. We had to hide him out for a time because those who would have wanted to see him dead, uh, so we hid him out for a while. And after those who wanted to see him dead were dead, we brought him back to work with us in the city. And of course, uh, you know, he's there with us. I'm dedicating Kevin's baby the end of September, okay? And look at where he has his hand on his son's back. This young man has become not, I mean, you know, what he did was just all so common. Pastor Sam knows I'm not making these things up. You know, I had a pastor from South Carolina once. I didn't even know it. He said, he told his congregation, he said, when I first met Alvin, I said, this guy is a liar. He talks about kids and drugs and dealing drugs and murders and stuff like that, like it's all too common. And he said, I've been and visited Alvin on 11 different occasions. And now I talk about drug trafficking and crimes and murders like it's just something common. I don't want it to be that way. Okay, but what I glory about is where God took these young men and young women and brought them and utilizing their lives, and He does the same thing for every one of us. Okay, in our boys' home. Boys who come from the streets, give their lives to the Lord, and need to get out of there. This is our boys' home out on a farm. um, Brother Walker, he left. He came to visit once, and he left $600 with me. You know what I did with that money? I bought this farm for $600. Don't think you can go buy a farm down there. Okay. But we're teaching the boys. They come from the streets. They come out of juvenile detention. Their parents don't want anything to do with some of them. Not all of them. But some of them cannot stay in the city because their lives would be taken like Abner's. So we bring from jail. They go direct out to the boys' farm, and they learn trades out there. The girls' home. Michelle, again, Michelle. Uh, Eight years ago, when she was 11, saw her mother murdered on the street. Her mother was a street girl. The mother had the child when she was living on the streets. Michelle grew up on the streets. And at 11 years old, she witnessed her mother being shot to death. Uh, Michelle is now 18, 18. After juvenile detention, because living on the streets again, she started dealing drugs, went to Girls Juvenile Detention Center. They put her in our hands the 1st of September. And Nati and Marta, you remember them, they're the ones, the girls' home is in their house, five-bedroom house, not nothing fancy. But they are working with us, and Michelle lives there. We're the church. We're the church. We have a responsibility as members of the body of Christ. The scriptures in uh, Matthew, Jesus said, Matthew 16, if any man will follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, right? So that automatically tells us forget about yourself and take up your cross. The cross represents suffering and death. And as Jesus took up the cross, it wasn't for himself. It was for the good of others. And that's what the church is here for. Hey, look, I mean, we're here. We're here to be the light. I mean, if if salvation was about just getting Pastor Sam saved and get him out of here, woof, beam me up, Scotty. Right? But why did God not just save us, but why did he also leave us in this world? Okay? The scripture says we're in the world, but we're not of the world. Okay? You go out to the salty ocean. You catch a fish, clean it up, bring it home. You, you know, bake it and eat it. That fish didn't have any salt in its flesh, even though it lived in the salty ocean. You're in the world, folks, but you're not. The world shouldn't be in you. But you know what? We are left in the world to minister to the world. Okay? All right. And I, I just want to say this real quick. Noah, and this is where I'm going this year with our church, all five of our congregations, and within the next two months after I get back, we, have, we will be starting a sixth congregation, okay? Another village outside of the city. But this is the message This is the vision for us this year. Because I'm not just talking about the church here in America or New Covenant. I'm talking about for us. Our people have came out of the darkness. And now they're in the light. They've got to take up their cross. But I want to just say really quick. Noah was a man that walked with God in the midst of the darkness of his generation. Okay? God instructed Noah to build an ark. 450 feet long, right? 45 feet high and, uh, and 75 feet wide. Why such a big boat for just eight people? It wasn't about just them. They walked with God. They served God. But even though the world was so full of darkness and wickedness at that time, God was concerned about the unsaved. He told Noah to build this ark. And yes, you know, any everyone who would, Jesus died so that everyone who believeth in him should not perish. Noah preached for 120 years. That's what the Lord says. My spirit will not always thrive with man. 120 years. God knows what he's doing. Four men with ancient tools. How long would it take them to cut down the trees and cut that timber into boards? 80 years. How long did it take four men and four women to build the ark? About 20 years. And to feed enough animals for 13 months that they were on the ark? Another 20 years. And here Noah is building the ark. I have a question. When God gave him the instructions, did God also give him the credit card? Did he give him a a blank check? Noah built the ark at his own cost. And he didn't build it just for him and his family. He built it according to what God said, and it cost him 3,300 board feet in the construction of the ark, the best wood that would be available So if you did the math on that in our modern day and time, that guy shelled out $100 to build the ark when it wasn't that necessary just for him and his family. They did for others at God's instructions. We, the church, we're called to be the light. We're the salt. We're the light. We do for others in Jesus' name. And that's the direction that we're going this year with our churches and congregations. It's not about us, it's about Him and what we do for others.
1: Thank you, Alvin, for who you are, for what you do. You know, last year, as I got to travel a little bit, one of the things I said is we've got to glean the American church, we've got to glean from the Alvins and and pastors and apostles and prophets and people that are doing ministry all over the world. Hey, yeah, we got some tough stuff going on, but you know what? For people in on the streets of Tegucigapa, our worst day is Disney World for them. And so we've gotta learn how to flourish and to prosper in the work of the kingdom, and to give of themselves. I'm telling you, Alvin could stand here and tell you all day stories, true stories of things that have taken place, of boys and girls that have lived in his home for years, that have been raised in his home, and for them to go out on the streets and for him to get a phone call and say, this girl or this young man has just been murdered. They live in the midst of tough, tough times in Alvin. We are so honored. We are so blessed and so thankful for you and for this message today. Folks, we, we got to get our heads. We got to get our heads straightened out. We got to get, get our minds right. We got to get our hearts right. And if we think it's all just about preserving us and, and as long as, and as we get what we want and we get our way and we get to do our thing and, and, and to hell with the rest of the world, it's going to be an embarrassing time to stand before Almighty God and say, what did you do with all of the resources that I gave you? Did you consume it upon yourselves? You know, one of the greatest stories, one of my finest memories... We took a group, Pastor Corey and I took a group to uh, Honduras years ago, and uh, Corey, who was a, a professional soccer player, got in there and playing with those guys, and I still remember somewhere, we've got somewhere, there's a video of Corey leading two gang members, all the teardrops, I can still remember, on the, we're leading them to the Lord. Folks, we've got to be about the work of the kingdom of God.